You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Well, happy Easter to everyone. I know most of you have grandbabies, so you probably know what I'm talking about. I have three grandbabies. Some of you are going, three? Yeah, well, if you've seen Becca lately, you know that Aaron and Becca are expecting in June. And so I will have, I have three grandbabies already, right? God is the God of life. Grandkids are awesome, wouldn't you agree? And it seems like in our house, especially around the holidays, uh, although holidays aren't the only excuse time for buying gifts for my wife, but uh, for my grandbabies, but we do try to give gifts at these holiday times. And this Easter, normally at Easter when our kids were little, we'd get them like a, like a one pound solid chocolate Easter bunny. Mostly because that's what I like. None of those gross malt eggs. You remember those malto eggs? Oh, those are horrible. I don't even think they make them anymore. Probably too many pe- people choked on them. But one pound chocolates aren't good for little one year old babies, are they? So, and it would just get eaten by the kids and we all don't need it. So, the other problem is for us, we have, our, both our grandbabies have allergies. One's allergic to milk, one's allergic to eggs. And so we sought out early to find some vegan chocolate bunnies. Because there's not supposed to be any milk or eggs in them, right? There's also no taste, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Actually, there is a taste, but let me just put it this way. No one will ever overindulge or become a diabetic on vegan chocolate. Like, just won't happen. And if you've ever tasted vegan chocolate, you might as well lick a vacuum cleaner filter bag. Like it's that, that it's not good. It's not good. Here's the other thing about allergies that you probably know if you have one. You're always reading the labels, right, on packaging. And it says, if it says vegan, it's supposed to mean that it doesn't have milk or eggs or any kind of animal product in it. But you go to the store and 90% of the labels of every vegan chocolate bar or chocolate bunny says contains milk or eggs. It may, it says may even, it may contain milk or eggs because it was made in a factory that produced other things with milk and eggs. So it's really a difficult thing, a real challenge to hunt for those things. But while the hunting for the non-dairy, non-egg Easter bunnies this year, I thought to myself, I wonder if a person's faith can be like a vegan chocolate bunny, where I may look good like the real thing on the outside, on the packaging, but really on the inside, could I just be a tasteless mass of substitute? Do I have things in my life that compromise what I say I am to other people as a believer? Last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we looked at a few people in the parade that were there who were challenged by the future that Jesus was moving toward. And from them, we, we learned that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, Jesus knows the future that he has created for us. And amazingly, as he was approaching Jerusalem, he saw you and me in that future. Amen? He knew what it would be like when you joined his parade. He knew what it would be like when you finally surrendered and entered into the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom, and declared him king. When you would be willing to surrender it all. And he was willing to endure the cross to include you in that future. Hallelujah. Shockingly, 
when that day of crucifixion happened, that same crowd of disciples who celebrated his future watched as their Messiah and friend was nailed to a Roman cross. They watched as the one who was going to be their deliverer cried out through parched lips, I'm thirsty. For those who dared to stay near him while he hung on the cross, they watched as the one who was going to be their rescuer struggled to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They listened as finally the one who was going to be their forever king bowed his head and said, it is finished. And they knew that their future at that moment was over when, the, when they saw that centurion plunge a spear into his lung and heart that was supposed to be their savior. Folks, in case anyone thinks Jesus may have just gone unconscious, that kind of injury with a piercing through the, through the heart and through the lung was not recoverable even by today's medical standards. And then they watched as his body was taken down from the cross and placed in a borrowed tomb. You have to understand that all of their hopes and dreams were buried with him that day. I guess he must have seemed a little bit like a vegan chocolate Easter bunny. Looked like a Messiah on the outside, but they didn't, he didn't deliver on the aftertaste. He was supposed to start a revolution. You have to get that. He, he was supposed to be different than all the other revolutionaries. And they stayed by his side and would be by his side forever. He was going to be their future. But now things are different. I'd like us to back up a few weeks now, if we could, from the cross to a time when Jesus was walking toward Jerusalem. Passover was going to be soon. He was engaged in ministry still. And along the way, at about a four days walk from Bethany, which was just over the hill of the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, Jesus was informed that a friend of his, a friend of the family, was dying. His name was Lazarus. When word got to him about his friend, Jesus was still busy healing and preaching about the kingdom of heaven, so he didn't go right away. This is what it says in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 5 to 7. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then the disciples said, let's go back to Judea. And of course, when Jesus arrives, when this miracle worker arrives four to five days late, later than expected, Lazarus was already dead and he'd been laying in the tomb for four to five days. So these two sisters give Jesus a bit of an earful. Verse 21 Martha says, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will ha- would give you whatever you ask. And from this, a little lesson about who Jesus really was is going to go down. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
And with those words ringing in our ears, let us consider some of the effects that that claim of him being life has upon us who believe. There's three things I want us to get across today. Number one is this. If you really believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you will not live in fear of death. If you really believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you will not live in fear of death. Listen to verse 25 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus made some startling claims during his ministry. His claims outraged all kinds of people. They still do. But this claim, that him being the resurrection and the life, outclaims all the rest. Everything about Jesus hinges on this claim. And this would, have been, uh, this would have been quite the claim for Martha to agree to since Jesus hadn't died yet and he hadn't raised from the dead yet, so she really had nothing to compare that to. Her only context was her religion. Her religion told her that at the end of the age, at the end of all things, like she said, there would be a resurrection of the dead. Martha answered, I know he will raise, rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus says to her, no, not then, Martha, now. Now. I am the resurrection and the life now. Psychology Today made a very strange report back in 2020 that religious belief increases our fear of death. Did you hear that? They, they, their claim was that religious belief increases our fear of death. Even though this seemed counterintuitive, even to them, because you'd think that those who had a religious belief, where there's a, supposed to be a, usually a, a, a confidence in an afterlife, would feel better about the finality of death. But not surprisingly to me, the studies that they consulted found that at least among Westerners, Those who fear death most were only moderately religious. They even described moderately religious as people who had this sort of existential sweet spot in their religion, a sweet spot of being afraid to die. Because they seem to have sought out the religion as a coping mechanism for a variety of challenges that they faced in life but they didn't end up being very religious, at least continued being religious. And we see this all the time in churches. People who pray the prayer to get themselves out of trouble or to calm the fear of death or hell. And their faith often, though, never progresses beyond that. Or they fall away. Jesus asked Martha a very specific question. Do you believe this, Martha? Think about what he asks her. There's really a lot more to it than just life and death. There's really about four questions here. The first question would be, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? The second question would be, do you believe that you will live even though you die? The third question is, do you believe that if you live by believing in me, in other words, today, you will never die? And fourthly, do you believe all this? 
I've been at the deathbed of a number of people. And let me tell you, it is noticeable who really believes this and who doesn't. For sure, there will be some uneasiness about the experience of death, of dying. Probably more the dying scares us. No one wants to be in pain or suffering as they lay dying. But what Jesus was asking Martha was, do you know who I am, Martha? Do you know who I am? Not what your religion tells you about Messiah, but do you know me? Me, personally. You can't get that kind of confidence in Jesus by just moderately believing in him. You can't just believe in Jesus just to escape the future prospect of death. Yes, you've got to believe that even if you die, you will live. But he is also the resurrection and the life now. He is. He is. He's telling us through Martha to believe he is the resurrection, that he is life itself. Do you believe this? Verse 27, Jesus asks her, do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who who has come into the world. Do you believe that, friends? That makes for a great statement of faith, for sure, but listen... It's one thing to have a good theology. It's another thing to be able to act on that believing. It's one thing to be able to articulate sound doctrine. It's another thing to be living like Jesus is who he says he is. I'm going to talk about this because I don't think I know of anything more drastic to draw on in our collective experience as a society to illustrate this point. Because we in the West just haven't gone through that much drastic turmoil in life. If there's one thing that COVID proved to us is that there are far too many Christians who live in fear of death. Now, think about the death Jesus died. We know how he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. It was prophesied millennia before him. And when that day got closer, he was afraid of that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he anguished over the pain he would experience. He even asked the Father, Father, if it's possible for you to remove this from me, please do. And what did he follow up with? Not my will be done, but yours. But here's the thing. And this is the point. He didn't live in fear of death. He didn't live by that fear of death. He didn't let death, even an excruciatingly painful death, determine how he would live now. If you really believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you will not live in fear of death. Verse 27, Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that even though you will die, you will live? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Martha was a brave and very wise woman, and she understood who she was talking with. This was a friend of the family, and she knew his true identity, and that created faith in her, not fear, to believe that Jesus, to believe the Jesus that she knew, to be able to live out that believing as a result. 
But then the next part surprises me. This is our second point. Number two. If you really believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you will not live in fear of living. You will not live in fear of living. Did you know that there are people, even Christians, who are afraid of living? They're afraid to take a next step because they might get hurt. They're afraid to take a next step because it might hurt someone else. They're afraid to say something because they might get into trouble. Or they might, they, they're afraid to say something because it might get someone else into trouble. They're afraid to go to work. They're afraid to play. They're afraid to take a risk. They're afraid to love. Afraid to be loved. They're afraid to be known. And they're afraid to know others. Some are afraid to leave the house. They're afraid to go to sleep at night. Some are even afraid to wake up in the morning for what might be awaiting them. And there's some who are so afraid to live that dying seems like a better thing than living the life they're living. Verse 26. Jesus said, Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Did you hear Jesus' question? Not do you believe in me as a theological or religious idea, because that's sort of what she gave him. Instead, do you believe who I am enough that you will live like what I am is your new reality? Let me say that again, because it's important, an important distinction. Do you believe who I am enough that you will live like what I am is your new reality? Like his resurrection power and his divine life are now your new way to live. All other ways that you used to live are gone. Now you are alive in Christ. And he says, if you live by believing in me, you should highlight that, underline that, circle it, or whatever, that word, by. If you live by believing in me. Again, you can't find, you can't live that kind of life in Jesus through just moderately believing in him. Sort of just Christmas and Easter kind of faith. You can't just believe in Jesus just to escape the future prospect of of death. Or even hell for that matter. You've got to live now like who he says he is, is your new reality now. True believing means he is your resurrection and your divine life every day of living. And here's the thing, fear will creep into living when you're not all that convinced that Jesus is your resurrection and your life. It's just what's going to happen. This is why Jesus didn't talk to Mary the same way he talked to Martha. Let me read verses 28 to 29, or to, sorry, 32. After, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had left him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord... If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and in truth, in spirit and troubled. Why didn't he ask Mary the same questions he asked Martha? Where is the, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that if you will live by me, you will not die? Do you believe that even if you live by believing in me, you will never die? Where are all these questions? He didn't ask her the same questions because now they just needed an object lesson. And notice who was with Mary. Her religious community were with her. Verse 31, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. These were professional mourners. That's a, a, a weird thing for us in Western world, but it was, a, it was a thing in New Testament era Jewish funerals especially. Professional mourners. I know it sounds strange to us, but the purpose of these moirologists was what they were called. Many cultures still employ them today, even in Israel. Their whole purpose was to come alongside the family so that they knew that they weren't alone, that they lived in a community. They didn't just weep, but they would remind the family that what their religion taught them about the afterlife. And so they'd read scriptures to them, the Psalms especially. They'd encourage them to keep believing in the promises of God when all hope seemed lost. They made sure that no one was going to be there who would take advantage of the family in their loss and grief. And they also made sure that no one overextended their welcome. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come alongside with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Why was he troubled? Verse 37 tells us why. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? These professional mourners weren't doing their job. They weren't reminding Mary of what the Psalms and the prophets said concerning the Messiah. Him. That he was the Messiah, the Son of God who who has come into the world. So the only thing Jesus could do was give them an object lesson. Let's read verse 39. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Four days in the open, not being buried, but in a tomb. And then Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you should underline that, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. That was Martha's confession earlier, remember? I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. When he had said this, verse 43, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth about his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Why would you ever doubt Jesus again, right? After seeing such a thing? 
Why would we ever fear death and dying ever again? Why would we ever fear living when he is our resurrection and our life? Third point today. If you really believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then you will live for the glory of God. If you really believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you will live for the glory of God. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. What does you believing in Jesus look like today? Frankly, it should look like Jesus, right? You should look like Jesus if you believe in him. Jesus is your life now. And your life should look like his life did. And the same compulsion then that motivated and animated Jesus should also motivate and animate you, which is to bring glory to the Father by everything that you do and say and think. John 17, verses 3 to 4, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says this, now this is eternal life, that you know, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus died on that cross and he rose victorious for a reason, friends. So that by living, by believing in him, you could bring glory to the Father too, just like he did. But that isn't our aim most days though, is it? Most days I think we're just getting by. Most days, we might even just be surviving. And that's because we're still letting the circumstances of life tell us how to live. We're still letting the people who don't treat us right at work, at school, dictate our attitude and our reactions to the things life throws at us. And instead of letting the life of Jesus speak louder than our troubles, we let our troubles speak louder than the life of Jesus in us. And all of a sudden, instead of praying like Jesus did, Father, I thank, you that if you, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. That's confidence. The best prayer that we seem to be able to pray is, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And if things don't change in our day in and day out with things life throws at us, then we have doubts. We doubt God. We have problems with God. We deconstruct and we blame God instead of glorifying Him. When that happens, then life is determining how we're doing instead of the giver of life determining how we're doing, right? But is that going to be our story now? When for the joy of your salvation, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God Almighty. Surely the resurrection and life of Jesus in us should speak louder than the life we used to live before we knew him. Surely the resurrection and life of Jesus is greater than the divorce you're going through. Greater than the spouse who doesn't get you. Greater than the rebellious child in your house or the wayward child who don't, wants nothing to do with you anymore or your faith. Greater than the boss or the teacher who just won't get off your back. Or the friend who won't stop gossiping about you and betraying you. 
or the disease that's wrecking your body. How it's going should never determine how I live my life for the glory of God. If it does, then I'm probably just living for myself and I'm not living for the glory of God. Or at least with any expectancy that the life of Jesus is greater than what comes my way. And when I see it coming my way, I fold because the life that Jesus has given me is really not, by my own experience, greater than the life I'm living. We don't see Jesus letting life determine his daily experience. He chose, even in turmoil and betrayal and pain and the face of death, and during his death, he chose how he'd respond in the middle of all that. He chose it. He chose to glorify the Father. He chose to still love those who compelled him to the cross. He chose to live as one who overcame the world instead of one who was overcome by the world. Jesus wasn't living all depressed and discouraged and anxious about what life wasn't for him. He lived life based on his Father's love and the Father's sovereignty, and he lived for the glory of God. Now saying that, I can probably hear some people in here saying in your head, yeah, but Jesus was God. Yeah, he was. But don't forget that he was also fully human. We have this idea that Jesus' humanity was just somehow a token humanity. That he wasn't really like us. That he just couldn't really get the kind of life that we have to go through because he was still fully God, of course. <laughs> but see, that shows just how much you don't understand about the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation isn't just that little nativity at Christmas. It goes far beyond that. Philippians 2 explains that Jesus emptied himself of his dependence on his divine advantages. He didn't empty himself of his divinity, but he laid aside the advantages of his divine nature to live among us as a man, fully human. No advantages. If he didn't, then yeah, he's a cop-out, kind of like vegan chocolate. But he did. The scriptures tell us that he humbled himself to suffer and die on the cross, to feel our pain, to live our pain, and to be death for us. A number of times he could have just called on the angels of heaven to bail him out, right? I mean, we have that testimony in scripture. But he didn't. He lived us. Our life became his life. Our story became his story so that your story could get wrapped up in his victory both now and forever. As he declared in John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. I know, I've had it, he says. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? Fellow believers, let that be the life that we aim to live. That by his life and resurrection, We will be overcomers like he was. He wouldn't have said that we could do all these things if it wasn't true. Let us not grow weary and lose heart when instead we need to consider him who endured much opposition from sinful men. 
Jesus said in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Friend, oftentimes, in order for us to live like we say we believe we live, we want to believe in Jesus. There's oftentimes a stone blocking your life. There's a stone blocking your life from seeing the glory of God at Easter and at every day. What's the stone that's blocking you from experiencing the resurrection and the life of Jesus every day of your life? What's keeping you dead? I think you have to name it. Think of your life right now. What is the stone that's blocking you from living the life of Jesus? Name it. Maybe it's fear of death. Maybe it's a fear of living. Maybe you've let someone else's life determine how you live your days. Maybe you've let discouragement and depression or anxiety become your life story instead of focusing on the victory and living out the victory of the overcoming life of Jesus. What stone is blocking you from seeing the glory of God today? Now to get that stone rolled away, you need to believe that Jesus is your resurrection and your life and you need to believe that right now. You need to wake up every morning with the aim of living by the resurrection and life of Jesus and responding to the life and responding to life with the life of Jesus. We're going to talk about that more next week and in a couple weeks after. Will you have the courage to roll it away today? He is your resurrection and your life. And if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the life of Jesus. That it wasn't just a token life. It wasn't symbolic of anything. It was a real life. His death was a real death. The payment for sin was a real payment for sin for all of us. And his resurrection on this resurrection Sunday, 2,000 years ago, was a very real resurrection. He was dead in the tomb, but he came back to life. And by his life, we have the victory to live a new life today. We glory in that, Lord, and we pray that you would show us more and more each day how to live for your glory like he did. There is one gospel on which I and all of us stand for all eternity. And it is my story, it's many of our story, that, Father, you raised up Jesus to bring us victory. And now, Lord, today we choose to live in that victory as Jesus did. He overcame the world, not the reverse. In God's name we pray.